This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. A very warm welcome to the fifth Property Professionals podcast, jointly hosted by Charles Russell Speechley's and Savills. And thank you for joining us. Today's topic is big sheds and logistics, and we're going to take a look at the current market position and discuss some of the key challenges facing operators and investors over the coming months. My name is Eddie Richards, and I'm a real estate partner at Charles Russell Speechley's with a particular focus on retail and logistics. I'm delighted to be joined today by Kevin Moffitt, Head of Logistics and Industrial Research at Savills, and Kim Farley, a principal in the UK investment and leasing team at EQT Exeter, one of the largest real estate investment managers in the world. Kevin, we've been living through extraordinary times, and there's no doubt that what work and existing consumer trends have accelerated and are to a certain extent here to stay particularly in respect of online retail. That said, with restrictions easing and people clambering for a bit of normality, could we perhaps see a slowdown and, dare I say it, an easing in demand for logistics space over the coming months? Eddie, thanks uh, for having me here and thanks for the um, introduction and, and interesting question to to start off with. Um, I think you're right to say uh, you, you know, the growth of online retail uh, has been hugely accelerated by by the pandemic, it got to around 33% at the height of um, lockdown one. And we all know what's happened to the demand for, for warehouse space since then. We've had records tumbling um, every quarter that, that passes. And that's continued into 2021 as well with a record uh, level of, of leasing volume um, in the first half of, of this year. Um, the latest numbers from the um, Office for National Statistics do show online retail, um, uh, the online retail proportion trending back downwards, which it isn't really a surprise as people get back to some level of normality. The question, I guess, from this point on is, is where does the level of online retail plateau? Will it go back to, you know, 20 odd percent that it was pre-pandemic or will we set a, a new uh, a new normal and then growth continues from there? We buy in forecasts uh, from a company called Forrester. They're you know, world-renowned forecasters for, for online retail. Their latest numbers, um, uh, which were released earlier this year, taking into account all of the issues um, uh, in the wider macro world, they suggest that we're going to get up to around 37% online retail by 2025. So really, you know, what we should probably expect is some volatility over the next six to 12 months. But generally speaking, we're expecting to see that continued upward trajectory. Now, there's some there's some research that states that for every extra billion pounds spent online, we need 770,000 square feet of additional warehouse space. I actually think that metric is is on the conservative side. Um, but if we do take that ratio over the next five years alone for online retail, we're going to need around 64 million square feet of additional warehouse space, which is you know a huge, huge amount. What we're also seeing is is new entrants into the market, um, companies that, that that weren't active even even two years ago taking uh, warehouse space for online operations. So I think, generally speaking, we should probably expect, as I say, some volatility, particularly over the next twelve months. But all things considered, the the demand is is set to rise even further as a result of um, uh, the continued growth of online retail. 
Okay, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, very interesting. Here to stay, I, I think, is is the message I'm getting from that. So, so picking up on on your new entrance comment comment, that's been seen from an investment perspective as well. And Kim, I know that you've had a, a busy couple of years at the coal face in, in what has been a very competitive market. Um, just thinking perhaps with more traditional asset classes coming back online with people going back to work and and whatever. Are you seeing the market softening at all uh, with regard to logistics investment? I think the short answer is no, uh, to my detriment, because, uh, you know, X has been involved in the European logistics side of investment and leasing since 2014. I think that we, you know, just to give you an example of how quickly and how heavily new entrants have moved into this market, and we're looking at the likes of Goldman Sachs, KKR, you know, P and buy side money that effectively just wants to take a foothold within the sector. Um, just given the structural tailwinds that Kevin knows far more about than I do. But I mean, if we're looking at rental growth in prime markets, it's sort of four to five percent a year. You know, we've seen, I'll give you an example. We bought the BA portfolio, which was a, a portfolio of about 11 buildings, uh, sorry, nine buildings. Um, across the UK, we paid about 5% for an 11 year walt. I think if we try to resell that today, it would probably be about 4%. So that's what 100 basis points for core tightening within about nine months. And, you know, the weight of capital that is chasing access to logistics is just you know, incredible. I mean, when you looked after the pandemic, we, we went in pretty early after debt pricing stabilized a little bit. So you know, the Dow Jones is moving up and down about 500 base points every day. And as soon as that started to calm down and we were able to sort of get reasonable term sheets from our lenders, we understood that there was really only one game in town that made sense. You know, hospitality, obviously, uh, hit by COVID, as was retail, as was office. So I think there's, you know, a large number of players who have now identified the fact that, you know, for all the stats that Kevin has just provided, this, this is not a fad. You know, people are, you know, I, I had a conversation with a Chinese e-commerce company that we leased a building to in Canuck, who have subsequently taken about an additional 700,000 square feet in the last two years, I believe. Um, and I asked him, what, what, what do you think the e-commerce penetration rate as gross retail sales go by will be in China in the next five years? And without blinking, he said 50%. And I'm not saying that Europe is the same as China. Uh, but I am saying that Europe follows sort of the US model. Uh, and I think that this is all easy for, you know, the larger PE funds who are looking for these types of returns and rental growth to identify. And the beauty of logistics is that, you know, when you're specking stuff, and I remember watching Kevin's first presentation when I got into this business where I think it was about 30% of the stock being built was, was spec and about 70% was, was uh, built to suit. And, and if I'm reading Kevin's reports correctly, that's almost inverse at this point. And, and the reason being is that, you know, we've now got two years of 50 million square foot of take up. And I can't see that changing based on the fact that we're going from 19% to probably 25% as a baseline. I know Kevin mentioned 33%, but our in-house view is that people who have started shopping online, doing things online through the pandemic, a large demographic of that population are going to continue to do so. Um, so we see it sort of following the US trend. And because of our experience, having built a large amount of the model logistics kit in the US, 
we see things moving to the XXL size uh, range in terms of 750,000 to a million square feet. And that's really just to garner the economies of scale so you can compete with the guys like Amazon. Front and center in terms of asset class target then. And yeah, yeah, I suppose historically it was on the fringes a little bit, but it, it, there's nowhere to hide now. It's, as you say, it's not a fad, it's here to stay and it's going to remain competitive is, is what yeah, I'm I, I, I think, you know, I have, I have a conversation a lot with Paul Rubenkamp, who's the head of Europe for, for EQT Exeter. And Paul's been in the, in the European market for about 20 years. And being one of the uh, seasoned gray-haired officials of the business, you know, he's always terrified of the next recession. And I can't for the life of me, and I'd be curious to hear Kevin's thoughts on this. And I know that, you know, subprime, nobody could see that coming in, in 08, 07. But I can't see what impacts um, demand for logistics space to that extent that we would see a, a downward turn in, in rents and, you know, vacancy rates going up because you know the 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 appetite for for modern grade a logistics is voracious because i mean you know you look at as an example primark i mean you know that's a company that had procrastinated for six years about building out their e-commerce platform and then they caught really got caught with their trousers down with one distribution center which we're under offer on in in uh in in the midlands and they couldn't sell anything online they were foregoing about 600 million a month in sales. So I think a lot of these companies are looking at that going, well, we don't want to find ourselves in that position. So we need to, to put ourselves in a position where we've got the infrastructure to be able to compete with the guys that seem to just be absorbing one business after the other, whether that's Boohoo or, or, or Amazon, obviously, as a, as a big target. These guys have no problem with legacy retail liability. Uh, and that costs dragging down the balance sheet. And these guys have all the cash that they need to go and try and build these infrastructure platforms out. And I can't see that changing. But I would sure. be curious to see what Kevin thinks is is the big calamity coming to 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 to, to ruin my portfolio valuation. Sure. Well, well, I mean... I'll 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 come in on this actually, Eddie, if I, if I may. I mean, absolutely. Um, I think you know I get this asked this question a lot. You know, what what are the biggest risks? to the market and you know we have to look at the supply side and and the demand side to, to kind of answer that question I'll, I'll i'll look at the supply side first and then you know offer a view on the on the demand side um if if we look at the supply at the moment vacancy rates are, are the lowest they've they've ever been um in in some markets like yorkshire the northwest Vacancy rates are now in the in the two percent range, um, compared to you know high, you know close to ten percent um, four or five years ago. Um, we are building um, a, a significant amount of warehouse space at the moment, around sixteen million square feet. But there is a huge pressure on the construction supply chain, um, and actually, you know. For once, you know, we we literally cannot build it fast enough, um, and so there's very little risk of of overbuilding at the moment, you know. And that was one of the problems uh, pre uh, GFC, you know, two thousand seven, eight, nine. Um, vacancy was was close to twenty five percent, and you know, I I cannot see a development led oversupply coming in the market now 
you could argue that we we could see secondhand supply increase, but but anecdotally, you know, most of the secondhand buildings that come available are are leased again very very quickly. So again, we're not going to see the secondhand supply get out of control. Uh, by the way, um, rents have never increased when vacancy has been above twelve percent. If we're around four percent vacancy at the ro- at the moment, four and a half percent, it would take almost sixty million square feet of additional supply to get as close to that twelve percent tipping point. So, the supply side, I think we can get very comfortable with. You know that we're not going to see, um, you know, any sort of correction there. the The question then becomes, well, is is the de- is the demand going to remain similar? Um, to what we've seen over the last two years, you know, since the start of of, of the pandemic, um, and you know, the, the 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 biggest risk I've 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 come to the conclusion is is U.S. politics, and what what they decide to do about you know Amazon. You hear stories all the time about people, you know, saying, well, we need to break Amazon up. You know, they're they're getting too big. Um, you know, Amazon retail needs to stand alone from Amazon Web Services. Um, you know, and and that is a you know a potential risk because you know Amazon, if they have to you know demerge the the businesses and and run them independently, they they may indeed have a have a different strategy. But that being said, I think it's important to state that the market isn't just Amazon and the market isn't just online retail. Tucked away in the stats of our big shed briefing uh, that came out in July, um, we've actually actually seen manufacturing take up double. In the last um, in the last twelve months. Now, granted, it was coming from a low base um, uh, from the first half of 2020, but manufacturing companies are are still pressured by by the global trends we're seeing. You know, how is trade with China? How is congestion at the ports? How can you get stuff onto container ships at the moment? How can you you know mitigate for um, wanting to have a a just in case supply chain rather than a just in time supply chain, how can you have uh, more certainty uh, with your inventories? All of those things are pushing manufacturing companies to want to hold more stock. If you want to hold more stock, you either you need a taller or bigger warehouse, or you need more more warehousing. So the the drivers aren't just from the the online retail sector, although that is you know, a, a very important driver. So I think, you know, for the for the foreseeable future, the, the supply risk and the demand risk are inherently low risk, which should mean that we're in for a, a you know, a, a, a sustained period of, of the market performing in, in the way that we've come accustomed to over the last, uh, over the last 18 months. It's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned manufacturing there Kevin because there's been a lot of um, a lot in the press as regards companies onshoring their manufacturing capability perhaps in reaction to pandemic related supply issues or, or brexit issues um, to t- try and counteract that so so I wonder Kim is is that changing your delivery strategy at all in in terms of your, your refurb or, or the the Perspective t- tenants that you're you're targeting or or seeing, frankly, um, for for any space that you do have available. Yeah, I, I I would agree with with everything Kevin says, apart from the fact that secondhand stock gets eaten up quickly. Because I think that what we've seen is that functional obsolescence is becoming 
a much more prominent factor in terms of why XPO or DHL or Amazon is taking space, right? Because they want to rack up and it's cubic volume at the end of the day as to how much stuff they can keep in those warehouses. I'll give you an example. We bought a warehouse in Brackmills, uh, which Eddie, you worked on. Um, you know, that's 10.2 meters clear. Uh, it has an 85 meter yard. But, you know, one of the things I've learned from that project is that most of the 3PLs who are trying to run contracts or pitch for contracts can't get the same level of stock in that warehouse as they could in a 15 meter clear warehouse. So it's simple math at the end of the day. But I mean, what, what we found in terms of the onshoring argument, we were raising fund for just as Brexit was going on. Um, so we were trying to figure it out as we went along. But I think what we realized was if you had a million square foot requirement from Superdrug in the Northeast and they got most of their product from Rotterdam, these guys were not reducing the size of their requirement. They were sitting there going, well, how long does it take us to get it across the border from, Amsterdam, from the Netherlands? And do we need to stockpile more stock onshore? And ultimately, what that resulted in is the requirement for more space um, because they know that they couldn't distribute product as efficiently as possible because of Brexit and because of the slowdown in timing coming across the border. So ultimately, I think net-net, that resulted in an increase in requirements for space uh, for guys that were you know, effectively centralizing their product distribution in the UK. So bigger is better. You've got good visibility on Europe as a whole, and I know you guys are are d developing units as as well as just pure investment plays. So so I just wonder what what what's the answer then in meeting the the demand for this space? And I remember going to a seminar just before um, just before we went into lockdown, and there was there was a lot of talk about multi-tiered warehousing. Now now frankly, I haven't seen a lot of that in the UK. Uh, from a legal perspective, you know, that there's planning constraints, there's a lot of complaints about intensification for, of use and whether the infrastructure could, can take it. But I do know that it's, it's a little bit more prevalent in Europe. So do, do you see that as something that's going to take off or, or something that you guys are, are considering? I, I see that in the UK, and, and I'd be curious to hear Kevin's thoughts on this as a bit of a red herring, because I think where it's been very successful is in countries like Japan where land constraint is ridiculous. Uh, like you cannot find sites. And obviously the population requires distribution of products. Their e-commerce penetration rate is higher than ours and everybody's buying stuff online. So for them, they don't really have an option but to go multi-story. I mean, if you look at the only successful multi-story uh, development in the UK was X2 Seagrow at Heathrow, and that took them four years to leave. So I, I think it's a, you know, there's a beds and sheds argument as well. And I'm sure that, you know, everybody comes and has their research meetings and says this could work. I personally don't think that I would rent an apartment above a warehouse. And that's fundamentally where my view stops. I think just to jump in on the multi-story point, um, I've done a lot of work on on this. I've done some some papers for clients and um and done some joint projects with the the research teams for Savills based out in Hong Kong and and Tokyo in my career we will see multi-story warehousing in in the UK similar to what we see in in Japan quite how quickly it happens 
you know, the, the jury's out on. But the main conclusion from my work with the um, uh, my colleagues in Southeast Asia was that there are three conditions really that, that need to be met um, for the market to be created for multi-storey warehousing. And, and that's um, rising land values, rising populations, um, and also planning intervention. Now, if you look at the UK, we've probably got two out of those three. Um, and the one, the one that isn't really there yet is the, the planning intervention. Um, but if we look at the politics surrounded by green belt release, if we look at the politics surrounded by replacement of industrial sites in London, there will come a point where um, where building multi-storey makes sense because you you're going to have to look at you know redevelopment of, of brownfield sites um, so if land values continue to rise and the availability of green fields is constrained um, then then your people are going to have to look at it as a as a solution to you know to maximize the density to to get the returns that they're, they're accustomed to and Gaisley, sorry, GLP are currently in for planning permission in in the Docklands um, for their multi-storey scheme, um, and you know that's going to be a really interesting uh, case study for the whole industry to follow um, as and as and when that gets developed out. I just think that if you think that what it costs to go and put in a multi-storey facility, and the amount of risk you're taking on the leasing side. And you look at the comps historically, there's only one. And you know, obviously Gazi, as you mentioned, and Docklands are gonna put one up. And we'll see how that goes. But you know, as I said, it took Seagrove four years to lease that. Uh, and that's that's what sort of I guess ultimately the equity capital partners will be looking at and saying, look, it looks great. We understand that's the future in very land constrained areas. And by the way, we have considered it because we looked at a site uh, at Barking. Which, which you probably would have come across, Kevin, where there was two sort of old school guys who were owning a, uh, a distribution business. And we looked at doing it multi-story and Ward wanted to, uh, this is, sorry, that's Ward Fitzgerald, who's our CEO, wanted to look into the idea of maybe doing multi-story and how would that look? And the cost is just, I mean, you know, you're getting to a stabilized yield, even in London of 4%, and that's pushing the rent on, assuming you fill the building up within, 18 months it, it it just from our perspective and i'm sure there are buyers out there who will sit there and go you know it's a flagship project and you know we think this is the future so we'll go for it uh, so i agree with you from that perspective but i just don't think it's necessary at this point in time uh, for distribution let's let's agree to to disagree and and as we, always we can we can we can revisit in 2035 if if eddie has us back well, well, hopefully it won't be the next in the series in 15 years, but I'm very happy to, to pencil in a date for, for a follow-up <laughs> to see uh, see where we ended up on that one. But that, that was very interesting to, to, to hear you guys um, debating that and coming at it from, from slightly different angles, depending on what you've seen. So thank you for that. I think that just leaves me to say thank you to our guests, Kevin from Savills and Kim from EQT Exeter. And thank you for listening to this Property Professionals podcast brought to you by Charles Russell Speechleys and Savills. If you have any questions or any requests for further topics, please do get in touch. Thanks very much and have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.